Hi, I'm Derek Harper, founder and chairman of CSA and the host of the CSA podcast show. And I've got another great uh, guest on the show today, Jonathan Tubb, director of industrial cybersecurity at Siemens Energy out of uh, out of Ohio, where I used to live, Columbus, Ohio, where I used to live and met my wife and lived for many years. So uh, uh, my old stomping grounds and uh, somebody that I uh, gotten to know through the CSA chapter in, in, in Columbus over the years. And um, so thank you for uh, coming on the show. If you don't know Jonathan, by the way, uh, not only is he a, uh, you know, a, a great contributor to our community, he's uh, also an engineer, uh, a true blue engineer and a software engineer. Um, he's a tinker, he's a brewer, he's an animal lover. He is a Buckeye, of course, being in Ohio, um, and he is an art enthusiast. So uh, he's a well-rounded, interesting person. And you, if, you, if you're watching the video, if you're seeing this on YouTube, uh, there you can see his uh, tinkering back there, his entire workshop behind him, or at least part of it. So uh, there we go. It's perfect. Uh, so welcome to the show, Jonathan. Yeah, thanks for having me here today, Derek. I always start this sort of the same way with the shtick of uh, super, you know, the cybersecurity people are modern day superheroes and superheroes always have backstories. So let's peel back uh, all the onion layers and go, you know, where did you grow up? Where are you from? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I was born in St. Petersburg, Florida, cool town right near the beach, near the water. Um, you know, I don't know why I moved to Ohio, the most landlocked state I could think of. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I spent my time, uh, I grew up around, uh, the Tampa area. I did have a brief stint in Louisiana, but came back. Um, and, you know, I spent a lot of time in my youth kind of focusing on science, science and technology. Um, I was always involved in, you know, the science fair. You know, got really competitive with that, went to the state science fair more than once, never got first place, but always got second place. I'm definitely not bitter about that. That's for sure. And, you know, I, I spent some time both volunteering and working at the uh, Museum of Science and Industry right there across from the USF campus. And uh, I, I really think that kind of informed a lot of my curiosity and interest in technology and kind of the way that I approach technology. So I'm assuming that probably was your chief influence for degree work you, you chose to pursue after graduating high school. That and a combination of, you know, my parents' influence, um, you know, both my parents were, uh, were public school teachers. They're now retired. My dad taught computer science and my mom taught math. Um, so, you know, if you ever run into me and we're trying to have an abstract conversation, I apologize. My analytical mind will take over. <laughs> but, you know, be, between, you know, having two great resources to kind of, you know, influence, um, you know, just some of my knowledge base and then having opportunities around science and technology growing up, um, definitely, definitely influenced thinking about the way things work. And, you know, of course, once you start playing with things, you end up breaking them. Um, so learning how to fix them. And, you know, that that ends up kind of being the core mentality around cybersecurity is let's let's think of creative ways to break things and then creative ways to defend from those things getting broken right so when you went to the ohio state university <laughs> I, I, lived, I lived in ohio long enough to, to learn that learn that's important did uh, did cybersecurity or industrial control systems come up at all you were studying you know computer science and engineering right both right. yeah yeah so you know at least initially you know, I'll say operational technology wasn't really on my radar. Um, I always thought it'd be cool to do uh, something with robotics. And that that's kind of where I started my, you know, my college career 
realizing that, uh, you know, the mechanical side is, isn't necessarily the most exciting thing for me. Um, so, you know, I went down a software path and then of course, you know, trying to combine that with, again, that, that preconceived notion that I wanted to do something with robotics. Um, you know, I got more and more into process automation, you know, before I even, uh, uh graduated, I, I ended up landing, uh, uh, an internship at American Electric Power. Um, which really solidified, you know, that focus area for me. You know, again, at the time, I wouldn't say that I, I necessarily had a focus on cybersecurity. I can tell you in some of my personal time, I was doing some things that were probably adjacent to cybersecurity. Um, but, you know, it definitely kind of informed, you know, at least where I started my career. That's for sure. Um, let's talk about that internship. You know, there, we we have in our community everything, everybody from from students to chiefs, um, and everybody in between. But the the, the entry level, uh, you know, questions that we get all the time is, you know, how do I break into the industry, or what should I do first, or where should I go? And so this internship you said you had with American Electric Power, what can you you know what can you share about how that how that worked? Yeah. Is that something you'd recommend for people to you know look into? How do they find us? Even. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, I'll be honest, I had a, a, a non-traditional interaction with the workforce in college. For lack of a better description, I was an underachiever when it came to coursework. I probably would not have been considered for a traditional internship. However, you know, I I I wanted an opportunity to learn, so I got a, a contract position effectively. Um, and I was doing work that other people didn't necessarily want to do, but it, it gave me access to very, very smart individuals who, you know, who worked at that organization. Now, ultimately, that should be the outcome of an internship anyway, right? You have an opportunity to interact with people who are way, way, way smarter than you. So, you know, anybody out there who's thinking about going down this path, whether it's through like a traditional internship structure or not, simply putting yourself around the people who are doing what you want to do will take you far. So, you know, I just want to stress that, you know, as somebody who is an underachiever, there is opportunity out there for people like us. You know, I, my my underachieving was informed mostly by the classroom structure was just not for me. I wanted to get my hands on and I wanted to learn it. Right. Yeah. I'm glad you shared that. I mean, that's that's there's there's you know, that's a, that's a, a slice of demographic. Right. I mean, there's a lot of people that would probably self-describe themselves, uh, you know, that way. And there's a little bit of that in in, in me uh, if I if I was honest about my sort of university experience. Um, I liked everything else other than being stuck in class. Exactly. Uh, so did you? Is that mean you took on some hours while schooling? Is that what you were? Yeah, doing? yeah. In fact, um, you know, it was all kind of a blur. But I was I was loaded up with 21 credit hours and working full time. Um, oh, I, I don't remember sleeping much. <laughs> but wow. I, I will tell you, it, it helped. Well, one, you know, being an underachiever meant that I wasn't focusing too hard on coursework, uh, <laughs> which, you know, trade off here and there. But but I, you know, I did have the opportunity again to get involved um, with some work that I was really passionate about. Right. Um, and that's that's why it, it didn't really seem that bad at the time. Um, plus, I was younger and didn't need as much sleep. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you went. To AEP, is that when you graduated? That's where you went. Yeah, so now, yeah, exactly. Now why that was sort of uh, probably already pre-wired. Yeah, exactly. Well, you, you know, they they sucked me in, right? Um, you know, I, I started as an instrumentation and controls engineer, which you know, if that's a, a new phrase to to people who are listening, um, you know, from an OT perspective, 
you, you have instrumentation, which is inputs from the field, and then control, which are devices that you obviously control, valves, pumps, motors, those type of thing. And there's all types of nuance to that, right? So you take a traditional programming where, you know, you take an input and you, you set an output and it's either binary or analog and it's, it's pretty simple, right? State in dictates state out. But then you move that into to operational technology and, and there's this, this cool effect that, that I found, which is there is a real world element to it where you can't just tell a piece of equipment to do something that it is not mechanically capable of. There's momentum, there's resistance, there's force. And it, it made programming feel more organic to me, right? It was something that I could physically understand. I, I, would, I would change some tuning, I would change some set point, and I would see that mechanical device responding and behaving to it. It was something I could observe. Whereas traditional programming for me was very much a, okay, let, you know, compile and let it spit out errors. Which is, you know, a kind of a different way of operating. So for me, it was, it was, it set me down a career path that, um, was very satisfying because I got to look at the thing on, on the other side of the work that I'd done and say, there's that big spinning thing. I can see it. I can touch it. I can hear it. Right. And, and that, that, that's what made me fall in love with it for sure. Um, so let's talk about those uh, those early years. You you weren't there in a specific cybersecurity role at AP. You were in the operational technology role. You were part of instrumentation and controls, right? But cybersecurity right. cybersecurity nexus begins pretty early. There starts to be it starts to intersect with your path right away. That's right. Yeah. So so you know I started right as the SIP three standards were were rolling out. So of course, you know, everything that we did from the controls perspective, we started to have to at least worry about how, what we were doing potentially impacted compliance. And of course, you know, being young and very interested and curious in all these things and having again, dealt with the other side of cybersecurity, um, we'll leave it at that. You know, I became very interested in how I can take, you know, some of our, our, very core engineering design basis, right? Because engineers are very good at thinking through failure modes and accounting for them and trying to understand really, is that all that different from cybersecurity? And the conclusion that I came to is that it's not, right? So any any interesting stories from, from those early years? You were, you were at AP for nearly a decade, right? Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Boy, there, there's, there's too many to count. Um, I'll speak to one that was embarrassing for me and only me. Um, hey, this is great. Drum roll, please. Excellent. Yeah. So, so I, I'd written a, a passive network monitoring tool specifically for, uh, you know, OT systems. You know, at the time, this was right when Sophia was coming out. Um, and I'd started working on this, you know, obviously before Sophia had come out. So there really were no other options, at least nothing that was tuned and useful for the operational technology space. And of course, you know, I needed to pressure test this thing in a lab. So, you know, at the time there was a, there was a known vulnerability uh, in the TCP IP stack on Linux systems that would allow you to do what was effectively, uh, I'll call it ping reflections, right? And what, a, what better way to stress test a system than to flood a lab network with pings Self-contained DNS. 
Um, the problem was, uh, you know, of course, I, I fat fingered, uh, you know, a subnet address range when I did that. Um, and, you know, I'm sitting there at my desk watching because I, of course, I programmed in one of those pretty network maps. So you can see all the, the points connecting. Um, and I started seeing outside uh, address ranges, you know, respond back to these pings. And, of course, um, you know, I brought a coworker over to show off and he started asking, he's like, that's not that's not on our network. And I'm like, no, it's not. Go call the IT team. Obviously, I've screwed something up. And um, with, you know, of course, I shut it down right away, but it's a reflection attack. So it kept propagating. And for about an hour, I kept receiving uh, uh, network responses. And we're, we'll pass the statute of limitations on this one. But, you know, fortunately, uh, you know, AEP has always been good about working with partner organizations, FBI, and so on. And, you know, we were able to escalate through them to say, hey, this was not part of a, a coordinated attack. This was simply a young, dumb engineer uh, working outside his technical capability. <laughs> so, so you know, that that's what I can share with you. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's a great, that's a great story. I, I can just, I, I, I can imagine sitting in the seat. Yeah, that could have been. Yeah, I, I can still feel my heart dropping. Oh, know, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's awesome. And that it's so near and dear to my heart, all the, you know, because of all the, the, the Sophia and, you know, network monitoring, what's safe and you know, active interrogation, don't even think about doing it, sending packets out. Oh, my God, no, you got to be passive. So just just the notion of, of sending all this stuff out, I, I can only only imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was when dot, dot mil address ranges started responding that I started sweating a little. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. All right. So um, cybersecurity, you know, anything else you'd characterize about those AEP years with regards to cybersecurity and sort of your evolution in that area? I mean, now you're focused on it at at Siemens Energy. That's that's your you know, that is your your bailiwick. What what was the the, that 10 year story at AEP? Did it become more and more of your time or was always sort of a sub quotient? What what was the migration? Well, well, the short answer was it it became more of my time. Um, You know, of course, the, the evolution of the SIP standards through, well, version four, which kind of got skipped over, and then ultimately version five. Of course, you know, it's it's tightening the bolts on the industry. Um, so, you know, we had to move that more to the forefront. And then, of course, you know, watching the industry evolve through, okay, you know, if we island our network, we're safe, you know, through the, the teachings of Stuxnet, right, that no system is truly safe. It's just how motivated you're your adversary is, yeah. right, um, to doing meaningful cybersecurity. It, you know, it, it was interesting. So the short answer is yes, it became more and more of my time. Um, you know, I was uh, leading the technical implementation arm of the power generation group for cybersecurity, and then, of course, the technical arm for NERC SIP um, for, again, the power generation side. Um, and, of course, that, that allowed me to interact with uh, – you know, quite a few people, both with external agencies, um, you know, the, the NERCSIP audit teams, as well as, you know, technical experts um, throughout both AEP as an organization and other working groups. So, again, it was it was getting access to, to just a lot of really smart people. Yeah. And that's that's the brain trust and tapping into the brain trust. I think that's a theme that comes up with a lot of uh, my guests is just the the people you surround yourself with, building a team, you know, and, and connecting to people, relationships matter, all, all those those things. 
and it sounds like yeah, you jumped, you know, sort of right in, right into that, right, right, to, even before you left, you know, your undergrad. So that's probably a takeaway for anybody that's listening at that stage of their career. Go plug in. <laughs> There's way. Exactly. Yeah. You, you know, I, I, I will, I will echo and stress that I, I've run into a lot of engineers, um, and it is kind of in our nature to, uh, you know, head down, focus on the problem in front of you. Well, and you know, while that's important. It's important that you utilize other people's knowledge to help do that um, simply because different perspectives will help inform you to, to think of the problem set in different ways. Um, I know I've personally fallen into that trap of I'm the one who needs to know it and, and it, you, you kind of just become protective of it. Right. Um, but, you know, without one, me sharing the knowledge that I've gained and then also, you know, taking in knowledge from other people, you, you, you just end up coming up short. So, yeah. So, what's the transition to um, to, to Siemens Energy like? How does that come about? And yeah, so you know, there was an opportunity a few years ago um, that that popped up. Um, they were really starting to focus on their industrial cybersecurity program, and uh, for some reason, my name came up, and you know, I joined the team. And, you know, it was one of those things where it, it was really tough, um, you know, throughout my tenure at AAP, I'd really built a family, um, you know, the amount of knowledge that was there, the amount of, um, you know, people that cared about the quality of their work, um, and just, of course, the personal relationships that come out of it. So it was really difficult to leave. But then, you know, I, I'm looking at this from the perspective of how much more is there I, can do to solve these really, really big problems that I'm seeing um, that are bigger than just AEP, right? They're, they're something that the entire industry needs to address. And kind of the next logical step was, okay, let's, let's bring this knowledge to influence how OEMs are approaching the problem. Um, so, you know, it, it was good timing for, for, for me, just for my own sanity. Um, Cause again, I, I think I was about as, uh, as developed as I could be at AEP to be able to kind of take that, that knowledge to uh, an international stage. You know, I was suffering from the uh, big fish in a small bowl. Now I'm a small fish in a very big bowl. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what, so yeah. Yeah. What are, what are you working on now? I mean, or, or, and, or I know you've, you've sort of done a few things already in, in your, yeah. in your time uh, at Siemens. Um, Siemens Energy specifically, what, what's, how would you characterize those years? I mean, anything that you'd call out specifically that's sort of interesting? Yeah, yeah. So, so actually, you know, quite a few things. So, so one is, you know, watching the, the teams that I interact with in the business day to day really listen and understand, um, you know, the risks that are inherent in the systems that we are putting out when it comes to cybersecurity. Um, you know, it's when you're on a product or portfolio development team, right? It's very easy to, you know, take feedback as somebody calling your baby ugly. Um, and, you know, they, what I've observed is just culturally, there's, they're open to, to feedback and improvement, um, which is very nice to see, right? Of course, you know, there, there's always areas that can be improved. Um, but just seeing that that focus and kind of the renewed focus as I, I brought in, I'll say almost a customer perspective to the organization, right? 
because it, it wasn't necessarily about, okay, let's, you know, comply to some standard. It's how do we find the balance of making a system work, work repeatably and reliably, uh, make it so it's easy enough to work on for the existing workforce, um, while still making it robust from a cybersecurity perspective. And yeah, that's, a set of balance, the, right? that's sometimes easier said than done. It's not like, let's make this as hard as possible. That's, it's a business. There's a business to run. Exactly. Well, and, 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 you know, it's, I, I'm not the first one to, to make this joke, but, you know, I can make you an absolutely perfectly cybersecurity, cybersecurity system. It's going to be locked in a room with no connection to anything and nobody's ever going to be able to touch it ever. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, you need to balance usability. And, you know, I, I want to touch back on kind of one of the, the, the uh, themes that I was talking about before. And you'll hear this referred to as different things, um, you know, uh, engineering informed cybersecurity or engineering at the core. But, you know, I do truly believe that the technical OT resources that already exist out in the workforce are very good at identifying problems, flaws, or weaknesses in a system and putting in mitigations. Um, you know, traditionally those have been like electrical or mechanical mitigations. But if you think about what a cybersecurity attack looks like in an operational technology environment, the outcome is no different than a misoperation or an equipment failure. And, you know, it's interesting to, to get the product teams to understand that our customers simply want a repeatable or reliable system and cybersecurity can be engineered into that. Now, our customers also understand that, you know, failures happen, right? You know, there, there will always be uh, some outside case that is not, you know, preconceived of. Um, and, you know, when you're engineering the system, you just assume total failure. And then what do you do from there, right? Um, so, so building out that cybersecurity maturity and aligning, you know, our customer needs to, um, you know, our product development teams and usability has been, you know, one of the things we've really been focusing on over the last few years. So, if you, what would you give as a grade to the whole industry? You know, all the OEMs, and not 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 you guys specifically. I'm not not asking you to disclose like, oh, here's where we are. Just yeah, where, where um, is your on that kind of maturity curve you're describing there? Yeah, in, I, I would say probably around a C minus, and and that would be optimistic too because, well, as an OEM, you put together a concept, and it's up to whoever is consuming it to decide to use that concept or not. So you know, a lot of time and thought goes into engineering a system and segmenting features and functions in a way that make it again reliable, repeatable, but also secure, and you know, there's a large portion of the industry, uh, we call it EPC, you know, um, engineer, procure, and construct. EPC firms will take OEM equipment and implement it to their standards. So for us to say that we've delivered a cyber secure system when we're not the ones implementing it, and this isn't just for Siemens Energy, this would be for all OEMs, it becomes a challenge. Um, and it's simply because where does the knowledge about the decisions that affected the architecture live and it's not with the implementation team 
Um, and then, of course, you, you can go farther down the path and, you know, look at service and maintenance in the entire life cycle and, you know, understand that, OK, if somebody starts plugging in remote connections uh, to the wrong point in the network simply because they want to support it, how does that impact your your posture? And there's all these little nuances that come into play that it's really difficult to manage. And that's that's for everyone. Right. So that's why I would give them a, a C minus. I think the products that are coming out are probably about a B minus, but devil's always in the details, right? Yeah, you know, you, you sort of um, allude, if not mention outright, you know, different different stakeholders. Anything, any insights into how to get more parties aligned? You know, and I think this applies not just to OEMs, but to other, you know, to, to lots of organizations where, yeah. uh, you know, different constituents in the same company, IT versus OT, the again the classic uh, uh, old traditional groupings, I think will melt away. But there's distrust or dysfunction. You said some people don't want their ugly, you know, their baby to be called ugly. Any, anything you've seen as uniquely successful in getting more alignment between cross groups? Yeah. So you know, I'll kind of tie this back to what I think makes a good cybersecurity practitioner in general, and it's. It's a curiosity and willingness to learn. The, the groups that I've seen most successful at solving this ITOT convergence problem, right? It's w- whether it's territory, whether it's knowledge cross-sharing, whatever it is, you know, that ITOT convergence, there's always seemingly one individual who does not care about the politics, the background, the history. They're just really interested in learning how the stuff works, right? And, and that's the kind of person, you know, if, if, if you've got that individual from the IT side of the house coming into an OT environment, that is the person that the plant manager is going to put trust in simply because they know that person is going to take the time to ask the questions, to learn about the pain points of the person who's using that system. And you, you end up implementing cybersecurity in a way that is not impactful to the day-to-day operations. And conversely, if you have an operational technology person who's forced into a role of being a cybersecurity expert, they're going to be the ones that ask the questions that would lead you down the path of thinking like an adversary would, right? Where are my weaknesses? Um, so it's it's not just you know curiosity about technology; it's curiosity about the way that technology is implemented, the way it's used considerations for that technology when it comes to operations. Um, so, so that curiosity is key and, and that'll always win over um, any politics or territory issues that may be in play. Now you may get yelled at a few times, but eventually. <laughs> yeah. Where are you finding people? This is a common, common set of questions around we don't have enough people. We certainly don't have qualified people. Do we make our own? Do we, you know, get them from somewhere else? How are you? How are you doing staffing the human element of this? Yeah. So I, I, I wish I had a good answer for you. Um, I've got a few concepts that I'm working on. They have not panned out yet. So where we've been successful traditionally has been uh, uh, utilizing, you know, individuals who have a strong background in cybersecurity or in OT already who kind of display that that passion and inquisitiveness about the other side of the fence. The, the problem here is, you know, uh, 
HR never aligns with with what you're growing this person into. So it's very, very difficult to, uh, you know, retain that resource as you train them up. Because of course, you know, they, they, they should, in HR's eyes, you know, they should be compensated as if they're, they're that past role. Right. Yeah. So that, that's you know, unfortunately. HR pay bandwidth misalignment. It, it, it yeah. comes up so often. I get a lot of calls from hiring managers who I know or I'm connected to. And that is one of their pain points. Like I, I, I have a candidate, but I can't possibly hire this person because it's so far off. And they're saying, this is the right. band. This is where that role falls. Yeah. Like, no, it doesn't. Well, and, and you know, that, that is where my advice would be. You, you've got to have that, that clarity with your HR organization. And, you know, I'm fortunate that, again, we've got a very receptive organization in general on the Siemens Energy side. I haven't had to really, really fight those issues. Um, but there definitely are challenges in uh, uh, just acknowledging that that this hybrid role, this this operational technology cybersecurity expert, is really seven to ten years of experience in OT and seven to ten years of experience in IT, and and that's a, a fair amount of knowledge, skill, and ability. Um, and you know, it, it's kind of off from from where I was heading because I, I do have another topic to kind of head towards when it comes to, you know, workforce development. But um, going through and clearly laying out to hiring managers or HR organizations just what type of liability this individual will be bringing on. You know, they go out to site, they implement cybersecurity at a facility that. You know, if you knock it out of service, you're losing hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue an hour, right? You you don't want to go for the lowest pay band when it comes to something like that, right? You you want to guarantee that this person understands that that they have clear and direct responsibility for the operation of this unit. And that's a job you know, risk profile, a job role risk profile. I love it. Exactly, right? And, yeah. and that's a methodology that I've been able to employ. I, I know in the engineering world, like I have my professional engineer license. If I stamp a drawing and it causes, you know, damages, um, I, I could be held personally liable for it. I, I think that we should have, and maybe I don't want a governing body because that's always a pain in the butt, but some type of expectation of that same kind of reverence for the systems that, that we're working on when it comes to operational technology, because there are, real world impacts there's not just in lost revenue but you know uh, physical bodily harm environmental damages if you're working in the the energy space right um you know loss of a section of the grid can have real impacts to the health and well-being of the communities around them um it's you know there there's real impacts to the work we do and and doing it wrong so yeah, that's that's um, I think that's a really good, good, good share. You know, the, every one of these interviews has a couple of these moments that are like something like distinctive. And that's that's an interesting one, which is positioning of uh, we really don't want in this role the cheapest person we can find. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and, and you know, maybe I can now now tie it back in. Right. So, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time um, thinking about how to take the existing workforce either on a, the IT side or the OT side 
and kind of accelerate that. And I, I did a lot of collaborating. Um, in fact, it was mostly the, the brainchild of one of my previous coworkers, John Ellis. Um, we were talking through, okay, how do we, how do we get these folks who have these base skills and abilities to cross train? And, you know, we had this initial concept of, you know, traditional college program. And, you know, I really stuck my heels in and said, like, look, I, I don't think this will work. Right. I, I want to find the individuals who who have that curiosity and interest, maybe not great in a classroom setting. Right. So we settled on this apprenticeship concept. So Siemens Energy has this uh, CSAP program. We have not implemented it. It's a framework that we put together. It's a, yeah. a industrial cybersecurity apprenticeship concept. And it, it, what it looks like is it's basically a two year program where we take somebody who either has an IT background or an OT background. And it is a semester of coursework followed by lab work, followed by uh, in the field work. So you already work for Siemens Energy. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And and this isn't just for, for Siemens Energy, right? We're we're part we're starting partnerships with educational institutions. Okay. Um, with the ability for any organization to onboard apprentices into this program. Um, so we're basically offering the, the coursework to these institutions um, to implement as they see fit. And anybody mm -hmm. can be a partner to this apprenticeship concept. So, you know, as a, an individual comes in, that first year would be focused on um, either IT or OT topics. So the IT topic coursework, you know, you're focusing on basic cybersecurity, just getting familiar with the, the tools, the phrases, right? Um, moving into lab work where it is hands-on with uh, cybersecurity tooling. And then um, that that final semester is uh, in an operational technology security operations center. So you are working as an analyst. Then on the flip side of that, the OT coursework is, you know, here's an introduction to process control um, type knowledge. Uh, the second semester is, is you know, hands-on in a lab with uh, PLC and DCS equipment. And then the final semester is you're going to go commission, you know, a plant with a startup engineer. So get out in the field and do it. Um, and, you know, of course, my hope is that we'll find individuals who are passionate enough to, to struggle through those two years because it is, you know, pretty rigorous. And then, uh, you know, they'll, they'll have enough base knowledge to, to be dangerous, right? We can throw them in a OT security operations center. We can throw them on a, a delivery team for OT security. Um, so yeah, it's, it's something I'm really passionate about. Um, I, I remember, you know, going back to the beginning of this conversation, my experience uh, with higher education and it, I, I trudged through, but it wasn't the right necessarily environment for me. Yeah. Um, and, and hoping that, uh, we can find something that caters to, to individuals who, who may have a tough time with that. In fact, I, I know you said it. Most of the individuals that I've talked to who are in cybersecurity, especially on the OT side, were not necessarily the best in a classroom setting, right? It was, let's get out there. Let's get our hands on something and do it. So I, I want to create that kind of learning environment. And that's what we're trying to do. That's awesome. You know, you and I are talking about um, doing an event together. For CSA, that th this program could be a great one for you to talk about because it's people are wrestling with this all over. 
uh, globally, you know, it, like, okay, where do we, how do we develop people and where do we get them from? And you're building, like you said, a framework. Um, so to the degree that, that you want to talk about that, that's pretty fascinating stuff and, and definitely um, interesting to a lot, to a lot of folks. Well, let's talk to you about the future. If you if you if you um, look ahead, however far you're willing to uh, sort of future gaze here, what what you know what do you what do you see uh, around the corner? Yeah, so you know it's it's not. If you'd asked me 15 years ago if I thought I'd ever get excited about this, I would have told you you're crazy. But seeing the rapid shift in where risk and liability lays when it comes to cybersecurity within organizations has been very interesting to me, especially over the last three years. So, you know, a lot of large industry, whether we like it or not, to some degree is self-insured. Um, they have a coffer of money that is sitting there for some type of major catastrophic event. And traditionally, this has been for um, mechanical, electrical, or environmental. But slowly, it's been accounting for more and more cybersecurity. I mean, on the business side, ransomware, of course, is influencing that. But for businesses that the revenue source is operational technology, right, um, critical infrastructure or otherwise, we're starting to see where insurers are no longer covering liabilities. So now that there's a, there exists a risk within the business, a, a financial risk, that is made up of you know, or, or that is being countered by whatever is in their coffers. Um, but we're starting to see that risk extend, to, again, to personal liability, you know, depending what region you're in and what framework you're under, directly to executive teams within that organization. And that's very interesting to me because I think we're finally at the point where I'm seeing people do the right thing for the right reason. <laughs> um, and what I mean by that is, you know, traditionally where it's been, okay, we put in some antivirus, we've got some hand-waving, you know, thumb-checking patch management program. It's like, yeah, we're good enough. Yeah, we patched two quarters ago. And, you know, isolating a system and saying it's good to go to now realizing that there's still an inherent risk and people looking to start actively monitoring their systems. Now, again, I want to go back to cyber-informed engineering. Um, you know, we run an OT security operations center out of Alpharetta, Siemens Energy does. And in the few years that we've been operating it, I have yet to see a real cybersecurity event, but I can't tell you how many operational type events that I've captured, right? A misconfiguration, a technician doing something silly, a piece of equipment failing. And I am way more excited about that as like a recovering instrumentation and controls engineer to have proactive monitoring of the yeah. control systems like look yeah it's there for cybersecurity sake but holy cow will it improve operations like the the amount of diagnostics that can be done um just on the information that's there that is now being collected i, I mean i think that's going to change change the way the industry is forced to operate yeah it's funny that theme has come up a number of times recently and I look back to getting into monitoring, you know, 10, over 10 years ago. And the smart move then, if if not now, would have been to call it a, you know, to not call it a cybersecurity tool at all. And there were things that happened uh, when, you know, back then there was so much lab and proof of concept stuff before anybody ever, you know, put anything in. And people discovered things. And I remember this one power plant discovering that two 
a redundant failover part of their network were not communicating. So it was the absence of communication that was detected by the tool and nothing to do with cybersecurity. And it wasn't even that nobody was doing anything. It was nothing was happening between parts of the network that should have been pinging each other or communicating on some interval. And he's like, oh, wow, that's that's, that's not good. That, I don't think we would have failed over. Those, those things aren't talking. And so it's, um, you know, you're right. There's so much to be learned by having knowledge. You know, knowledge itself is power, I guess, is the old, you know, right. saying. And regardless of whether it's a security incident or not, just how is it behaving? What's going on? And can I characterize it and understand it? Exactly. And, and you know, it's interesting because I, I still see segmentation in the industry, right? We talked about, you know, engineering and cybersecurity traditionally being two distinct things. Oh, yeah. But I'll also add that, you know, I'm seeing a lot of organizations who, who want to go through some version of digital transformation, right? They, they, they want to optimize their operations by collecting a lot of data and doing something with it. And those efforts are happening completely distinct from their cybersecurity and from their engineering and fleet operations teams. And if I could ask anybody to do anything, get in a room with those people, like just get everybody in the room because I guarantee there's one way to collect this information that would be beneficial to everyone. And honestly, each one of those groups, organizations, is probably running down the same path, but completely independently from each other. Well, I tell you what, like we couldn't end, have ended on a better message. Get in that room. <laughs> That's I, it. I wholeheartedly believe with you. I think it was a great share at the end there that that people really do need to. Uh, commit to e either if, if if listeners are a driver drive that if listeners are a participant fully embrace it and um, and it doesn't mean that everybody in the room uh, you know should be uh, listened to as the expert that understands it all in fact the, I, I find I recoil from the person who comes to those with the uh, from whatever their unique perspective is has all the answers they don't but man I mean the fusion of all that knowledge with people who want to be together and say okay what can we learn from each other with all those different disciplines I mean, real magic can happen there. And the way I think, you know, the, I, I like to borrow from the the Mandalorian too. You know, this is the way. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yep. <laughs> well, um, I suppose I now I own like ten, oh, 10 cents to Disney for quoting that, but uh, you know, <laughs> let us pass. Well, hey, this has been awesome. I'm just wrapping up with Jonathan Tubb, a director of industrial cybersecurity at Siemens Energy. If you're up for it, I always like to uh, end these with uh, with something called the Pivot Questionnaire. So I don't know if you ever saw Inside the Actor Studio, long-running show for decades. The host James Lipton, who's now who's now passed on, uh, asked all the actors and actresses, the greatest of our you know of the years, these same ten questions at the end of his interview. And um, so I years ago started using it, you know, in our industry, and people found it fun. And so it's sort of how I end these. And it's the same ten questions that he borrowed from a French show before that, hence the name Pivot. Um, I don't know the origin of the, you know, the French show, but if you're up for it, I'll ask you the same 10 questions. Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's, let's do it. What is your favorite word? Oh, caribou. What is your least favorite word? Tinny. And, uh, if any, if there's any money Python fans out there, they'll understand those last two. <laughs> what turns you on either creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? We'll say passion. And it's specifically other people's passion. I love seeing people who are passionate about things. What turns you off? Oh, uh, arrogance. What is your favorite curse word? Uh, 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 it's an acronym, FBS. Uh, what? Free, free, freaking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? 
Oh man, a, a good like blues trombone. What sound or noise do you hate? The sound that a, a, a young child makes, that, that screeching pitch that they just happen to get to get their parents' attention. Makes my brain rattle. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, uh, brewing for sure. Brewing a beer. And what profession would you not like to do? You couldn't pay me enough to be a lawyer. <laughs> and if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Uh, let's see. Uh, all, all the bourbon you can drink on the house. <laughs> not beer. That's interesting that you switched to bourbon when I know beer is near, you know, making beer is near and dear to your heart. Well, look, if I spend my whole life drink, uh, making beer, I'm going to want something else. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Variety is the spice of life. Well, exactly. hey, thank you. I'm just wrapping up with Jonathan Tubb, Director of Industrial Service Security at Siemens Energy. Jonathan, thank you for, for all that you're doing. Uh, for, for us, as, you know, industry depends on all this stuff to work. Society depends on all this stuff to, to work and be safe. So thank you for that and for being involved in CSA in the Columbus chapter and, uh, and everything you do, you know, do on uh, sort of all of our behalf to help us help keep all this running. Uh, so thanks for that. And um, yeah, stay safe and be well. Thanks, Derek. And, uh, you know, get in that room with those people. That's important. Get in that room. <laughs> I love it. All right. Take care. Jonathan.